Howdy. Before we begin today, we'd like to make a couple of quick announcements. First, we'd like to give a big howdy to the newest member of the Come and Take It Nation, Ellis Abendroth. Welcome to Texas. Also, we've gotten some great letters and some awesome reviews on iTunes, and we thank you all so much for that. It really makes us feel good, and it also helps the show. Uh, I like Senor Lester, who said, count mine as six stars. <laughs> keep telling your friends, keep reviewing the show, and please drop us a line. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and what you want us to talk about. We're here to teach you about Texas. I would say, maybe just tell us a little about yourself. Oh, that's good, too. We don't know anything about you people. Well, without further ado, here's the show. A little bit racist, but yeah. uh, <laughs> a little bit. He, he meant well. Yeah. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Henry Flipper was a freed slave who became the first black American to graduate from West Point. He fought Apaches in West Texas and later settled in El Paso. He was an engineer, interpreter, translator, historian, inventor, newspaper editor, and a high-ranking government official in a time when African Americans still faced extreme discrimination from the society of the time. Today we're talking about a little-known Texas legend, Henry Ossian Flipper. But first, what's your favorite frozen Texas summertime treat? I love the blizzard at Dairy Queen. Well, Dairy Queen is a cool break on a hot summer day, but uh, I still have a soft spot in my heart for the uh, Raspa vendors in San Antonio. They're basically these big snow cones you can buy right on the street. Mm. Well, normally I would uh, enjoy, on a hot day, I would uh, enjoy a nice big bowl of uh, Texas-owned Bluebell ice cream, uh, preferably homemade vanilla flavor. But given their recent troubles, uh, I've not been able to do so. Still my favorite. Ah, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Yes. Well, if you can't find that, just go have a nice cold Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Henry Flipper was born March 21st, 1856, the eldest of the five sons of Festus and Isabel Flipper. Ephraim G. Ponder, a wealthy Georgia slave dealer, was their owner. In 1859, Ponder decided to sell all his slaves and move. Festus, who had worked on the side as a shoemaker and carriage fitter and had saved his money, purchased his family's freedom so they wouldn't be broken up when Ponder moved. As a child, Henry was educated in the wood shop of a fellow slave and attended the American missionary schools after the Civil War. In 1869, he entered the newly established Atlanta University, one of the first historically black universities founded in the South. While there, he wrote to Republican Congressman James C. Freeman requesting an appointment to West Point Military Academy. After an exchange of letters, Freeman recommended his appointment to West Point, joining four other black cadets already there. Henry's time at the academy was extremely difficult. White cadets didn't want to associate with him or the other black men. They ostracized the black cadets and gave them the silent treatment, an unofficial disciplinary measure usually reserved for troublemakers. All the cadets were expected to refrain from talking to them or so much as acknowledge that they existed. The only time they were spoken to was when they were given direct orders. 
Most cadets who received the silent treatment resigned, and some have committed suicide over the years. It was a pretty brutal way to be treated. Flipper endured, however, and he excelled in engineering, law, French, and Spanish. He graduated in 1877, becoming the first black American commissioned as an officer in the United States Army. There would be other firsts in Flipper's short military career. He became the first black officer to command black soldiers, the first black officer to command regular troops, and sadly, the first black officer to be dismissed from the army, although the circumstances of his case were very, very suspicious. Second Lieutenant Flipper's first assignment was to Troop A, 10th Cavalry, at Fort Sill in Indian Territory, which later became Oklahoma. 10th Cavalry was one of four all-black regiments in the regular U.S. Army. During the Civil War, black volunteers made up nearly 10% of all Union troops, and they proved that they were capable of being outstanding and brave soldiers. With the drawdown of the federal military, Congress established six permanent regiments of black soldiers in the Army, two cavalry and four infantry, although these were soon reduced to two infantry units. These units would have black enlisted men and white officers, and the black enlisted men were barred from promotion to a commission rank. The 24th Infantry Regiment and the 10th Cavalry Regiment would frequently serve in Texas on its frontier, and the 10th was the one which earned the name, which would soon be applied to all black soldiers in the U.S. Army, Buffalo Soldiers. Legend has it they gained their name from the Apache because of their curly black hair, but other stories tie the name to a common term in Comanche and Cheyenne for wild buffalo, after a fierce battle fought by one black soldier. This was Private John Randall, who single-handedly fought off an attack by 70 Cheyenne warriors. The Cheyenne spread word of this new type of soldier who, quote, had fought like a cornered buffalo, who like a buffalo had suffered wound after wound, yet had not died, and who like a buffalo had a thick and shaggy mane of hair. Soon the Native American tribes along the frontier from Texas to Montana learned to respect these brave and skilled fighting men. In all, from 1866 to 1895, 13 enlisted men and 6 officers from these regiments earned medals of honor for their heroism during the Indian Wars, and later the 24th Regiment gained fame for charging San Juan Hill during the Spanish-American War, and the 10th Regiment earned honors in France during World War I. It was to this legacy that Henry Flipper arrived, the first black officer ever to lead black troops. Troop A was transferred to Fort Elliott in the Texas Panhandle and then returned to Fort Sill, where Flipper briefly served as acting captain of Troop G. At Fort Sill, Henry put his engineering skills to good use. He supervised the construction of roads and some of the earliest telephone lines and engineered a ditch to drain a malaria swamp. The ditch is still known today as Flipper's Ditch and is commemorated by a plaque at Fort Sill. In 1977, it was designated a National Historic Landmark. While at Fort Sill, Flipper was befriended by Captain Nicholas M. Nolan, commander of A Troop, who mentored him in the life of a cavalry officer and invited him to separate his home. When some white officers were angered at Nolan's actions, he retorted that Flipper was, quote, an officer and a gentleman, just like them. When Nolan's Troop A was transferred to Fort Elliott back in Texas, he made Flipper his adjutant. Flipper remained a magnet for criticism, especially when he developed a close friendship with Nolan's pretty young, white sister-in-law, Molly Dwyer. After returning to Fort Sill, Flipper was involved in scouting the Llano Estacado and participated in the expedition to return Quanah Parker and his band from the Palo Duro Cannon to the reservation at Fort Sill. In late 1879, 
Flipper and Nolan got in the middle of a conflict between a U.S. Marshal named Norton and a Texas County judge. Flipper and Nolan protected the judge and Wheeler County officials from what was typical Texas justice at the time, quote, shot in the back while trying to escape, and endangered their careers in doing so. But their action greatly improved the local feelings of local residents toward the black federals at Fort Elliott. In May 1880, Flipper was ordered to Fort Concho in West Texas, where he became the first black officer to command a troop of 10th Cavalry Buffalo Soldiers. He spent his time pursuing Apache marauders, led by Victorio. In November, he was ordered to Fort Davis in the mountains of West Texas. He was assigned to duties of post quartermaster and commissary officer. Separated from his mentor, Captain Nolan, he soon found himself in serious trouble. After the new officer, Colonel William Rufus Shafter, assumed command, civilians warned Flipper that white officers were plotting to get him out of the Army. Flipper was asked by his commanding officer to store the quartermaster's safe in his private quarters. Shortly thereafter, he discovered that funds were missing from the safe. When he discovered that the funds were missing, he realized the jeopardy he was in. In an effort to clear his name, he hid the fact that the money was missing while trying to locate or replace it and lied when he was asked about it. When it was finally discovered that the funds were missing, he was court-martialed in December of 1881. Although he was cleared of the charge of embezzlement, he was prosecuted for trying to cover up the missing funds. He was convicted of conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman, and in June of 1882, he was dismissed from the army. Dismissal of an officer is the equivalent of a dishonorable discharge for an enlisted man. Interestingly enough, Shafter and two other army officers who sat on Flipper's court-martial had been buying up land near a proposed silver site near the town of Presidio. In 1880, they were unable to procure all the land near the claim because they didn't have enough funds. In June 1882, shortly after Flipper was dismissed, the three officers purchased the remaining land they needed and founded the Presidio Mining Company. Questions about where they got the money was raised, but in the end were quashed. Shafter later claimed that they sold shares in their company to California investors. Kind of (laughs) fishy. A little bit. Flipper spent the remainder of his long life in multiple futile attempts to clear his name. He even appealed to Congress in 1898 to overturn his dismissal so he could rejoin the army and serve in the Spanish-American War. He probably wouldn't have been happy, though, since Shafter served as a commander of the American army that invaded Cuba. It took 95 years for the army to overturn his dismissal and another 23 years for him to receive a presidential pardon from Bill Clinton. Still, his army career today is remembered in the positives that he contributed to the service. Today, an annual West Point Award in honor of Flipper is presented to the graduate who best exemplifies the highest qualities of leadership, self-discipline, and perseverance in the face of unusual difficulties while a cadet. Once his Army career ended, Flipper stayed in Texas and settled in El Paso, where he found work in a civil engineer's office owned by former Confederate officers. He engaged in surveying work for several years, eventually going to Mexico and surveying the boundary line between the states of Cahuilla and Chihuahua. From 1883 to 1891, he worked for several land companies there, and in 1887, he opened his own civil and mining engineering office in Nogales, Arizona. In 1891, he was hired by the community of Nogales to prepare for the Nogales de Elias land grant case. As a result of his work on this case, he became a special agent for the United States Court of Private Land Claims. While preparing, he compiled and translated Mining Law of the United States of Mexico and the Law on the Federal Property Tax on Mines. 
1895, the United States government published his translation as Spanish and Mexican Land Laws, New Spain and Mexico. During this same period, he edited the Nogales Sunday Herald for four months and wrote articles in Old Santa Fe, which later became the New Mexico Historical Review. He also became a member of the Association of Arizona Civil Engineers, the National Geographic Society, and the Southwest Society of the Archaeological Institute of America. He was not only fluent in English, French, and Spanish, but Henry also mastered the Apache language known as Atabascan, a very difficult language to learn. The Atabascan language was also spoken by the Yaqui Indians, a tribe so ferocious that the Apaches would sometimes silence their children by saying, the Yaqui will get you. Henry Flipper is the only non-Yaqui known to have witnessed the Yaqui Easter Festival and lived to tell about it. Now, as an interesting side note, uh, since he worked regularly with Mexicans, Americans, and Indians, he uh, Flipper wrote all of his field notes in French, which was the only language that none of the people he worked with could read. I guess that was <laughs> to keep all of his notes confidential. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1896, Flipper's interest in the Southwest and Mexico led him to publish a scholarly monograph titled, Did a Negro Discover Arizona and New Mexico? The paper included the first English translation of Pedro de Castañeda's account of the Marcos de Niza expedition. In the account, Castañeda wrote that Cabeza de Vaca and the company of Estevanico, or Esteban, a Moor, had preceded them. Estevanico was the guide for the Marcos de Niza expedition as well. And if you want more information on that, you can check out our previous episode on Cabeza de Vaca. In 1901, Flipper began an 11-year stay in Mexico, working as an engineer and legal assistant for mining companies. In 1912, he returned to Texas and El Paso, and he wrote an article entitled, The Early History of El Paso. Four years later, he wrote his memoir, Negro Frontiersman, the Western Memoir of Henry O. Flipper, which was published posthumously in 1963. During this time, he also published articles in El Paso newspapers and translated Spanish documents for law and land firms. In 1919, New Mexico Senator Albert Fall, who had known Flipper since his days in Mexico, summoned him to Washington to serve as his translator, interpreter, and advisor on the Committee for Mexican Affairs. When Fall became the Secretary of the Interior in 1921, he hired Flipper as his special assistant, a very high position for a black man in those days. Flipper served in that capacity until 1923. In 1922, Secretary Fall intervened on Flipper's behalf in another attempt to get his conviction overturned. In a letter to Senator James W. Wadsworth, Secretary Fall described perfectly the conundrum of Flipper's life. He wrote, His life is a most pathetic one. By education, by experience, and because of his natural high intellectual characteristics, he can find no pleasure in association with many of his own race, and because of his color, he was and is precluded in this country from enjoying the society of those whom he would be mentally and otherwise best fitted to associate with. A little bit racist, but (laughs) uh, a little bit. he, He meant well. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, nothing would come of the request, as Fall himself soon became embroiled in the famous Teapot Dome scandal and ended up serving a year in prison for corruption. In 1923, Flipper left the public service around the time that Fall was removed from his position, and he began an entirely new venture. He moved to Venezuela to work in the petroleum business as an employee of William F. Buckley Sr. Now, Henry did quite well for himself until 1929. 
The stock market crash, as it did for most people, destroyed his life savings and investments. He left Venezuela in 1930 and headed to Washington. After a few months, he returned to his home state of Georgia, penniless and destitute, too old to adventure anymore. He spent the later years of his life reading, writing, and following politics while living with a brother. Oddly enough, he was a strong state's rights advocate. In a letter to a friend, he wrote, quote, There is one power of the states not often mentioned. A majority of all the states in convention assemble can annul the present constitution, make a different one, or even change the form of government. The Congress can do none of these things nor prevent them. States' rights, the rights of each and all the states, are the basis, the very foundation of our government, not something peculiar to the South, but to all the 48 states. Interesting position to take. Yep. Henry Ossian Flipper passed away on May 4, 1940, in Atlanta, Georgia, having lived a remarkable life of accomplishment, especially considering the deck that was stacked against him. Few men can boast of as many accomplishments. So, yeah, I think that's a really fascinating story, and I had never heard this story until, you know, we looked into it. Yeah, this this was a new one for me as well. Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable Texas connection, and and it's remarkable that he he kept coming back to Texas. He really considered it his home for many, many years. Yeah, well, that was the thing that I I think when this first kind of popped up was, is like, oh, is he Texan? And like, no, no, he's... He went a lot of places, but you know, once he kind of got to Texas, Texas was sort of always the touch base that he had, and so mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we're gonna, you know, I think that makes him a Texan, and he certainly has the spirit of reinvention um, and the the sort of second takes that make so many historical Texas figures uh, notable. Yeah, right. I mean, you could you could argue that the the pivotal event in his life was his military service and that mostly occurred in texas and his discharge and everything was all revolved around his uh his military career yeah and, and settling in el paso it, it, it kind of illustrates the, the the different character that el paso has from from texas at many other places in texas he wouldn't quite have been as welcoming welcome a person as he was in el paso which is a much more blended ethnically blended culturally blended city even back at that point. Yeah. But um, I've actually been to Fort Davis where he went, which is named after Jefferson Davis. Um, but it's interesting at the, at the museum, at the fort, uh, they do a great deal to highlight the Buffalo soldiers because the Buffalo soldiers were a major part of, of service in, in the Fort Davis area. And the, the story of the, uh, the African American troops in the, uh, in during the frontier period, is pretty remarkable. And, and so to have Flipper be the very first black man to command black troops is a pretty remarkable accomplishment. Well, I think any one of the like 50 accomplishments we listed there, I mean, he, <laughs> he mastered four languages. He, he led troops. He graduated West Point under very difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and he, he achieved these super, and doing any one of the things that he did in his life would be he, yeah he he achieved a uh, he he served as an undersecretary to a cabinet position in a, in a segregated government at the time that the federal government was fully segregated at the time and yet he was accomplished enough to serve uh, as as an assistant secretary to the interior so he he was a historian he was a renaissance man he really was you know i'm kind of reminded of 
we did an episode on Britt Johnson, who was, you know, an amazing story of a frontier hero, uh, a spectacularly brave individual who risked his life uh, to to kind of reunite his family. Uh, and he kind of had some similar circumstances in terms of just inter, inter, interfacing in this segregated um, culture that was going on in Texas at the time. And it's just an additional hurdle that, you know, these sort of early Texas heroes overcame. And I, I think I wish there was a little more emphasis given to some of these sort of lesser known, um, not known, how would you say it? Lesser recognized heroes of Texas. Mm-hmm. Agreed. For sure. For sure. Um, and he was an engineer. So go engineers. (laughs) (laughs) I bet he would have had no trouble manning the twin sister cannon with his mathematical knowledge. Exactly. Right. Well, fortunately, he would have had, uh, he would have been from the future and had much more advanced technology. (laughs) (laughs) He'd have whooped that old Santa Ana to shape, no problem. For sure. Uh, I would like to know what the Yaki Easter Festival is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but if very few people survived having seen it, um, it must be very special indeed. I've never had anybody die at my Easter supper, but <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you know, except, except the ham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I, I, I don't think the, I, I just don't picture the resurrection of Jesus and might not live through ceremony as being two things that that go together. <laughs> I don't know how they do things in your church. I was born a snake handler, Homer, and I'll die a snake handler. (laughs) Uh, So if there are anybody out there that knows what the Yaki Easter Festival looks like or it was consisted of, please let us know. Well, I hope you learned something about a great unsung hero of Texas you didn't know before today. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you'd like to support the show financially, go to patreon.com slash Texas Podcast and you can sign up to be one of our many patrons. Still using Twitter? We are too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. We'd like to give a big thank you to our friend Paul Schmel for helping us research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter, at Paul Schmel. We know you love this show, and we know you love Texas. So get out there and tell your friends, and tell them to subscribe, and then make them leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out, and helps us to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.